You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. This morning, as we open the word, we're going to be camping out in the 10th chapter of Luke. So if you want to turn there, verses 25 to 37, it is a story that I believe would be familiar to many of you in this room. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some of you may be thinking, come on, Ahmed, I've heard this one many times before. My hope and my prayer is that you would have fresh ears to hear something new this morning. Holy Spirit, would you teach us something out of this passage this morning that we have not recognised before? So why don't we read this passage together? Uh, Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What a story. What a story. This is not just a nice story, folks. I honestly believe, hand on heart, that this story has the potential to transform this world that we live in if we are to take the teachings of Jesus seriously. I honestly believe this, and I want to share some of that with you this morning. But to put it into some context... Have a look at this photo. This was me back in 2018. I used myself as a social experiment, had the head shaved, took the moustache off and wore some cultural attire as often as possible, took more public transport than using my own car, learnt some traditional greetings and I went out into community looking like this and gauging people's reactions to how I appeared. And I got a variety of reactions. Some I expected, some I did not expect. So let me share with you very briefly two stories from that year. I've got many, but here are just two. 
The first one is, um, like I said, I tried to learn some of the traditional greetings. So in my culture, which is Indian in background, uh, namaste would be a traditional greeting. So I would greet people politely, out of respect. Uh, my understanding of that greeting is essentially paraphrasing, um, like I, I bow and recognise the divine in you. Uh, or the Arabic greeting of assalamu alaikum, which essentially means I greet you in peace. Again, hand on heart to show I'm not carrying any weapons, I'm here to greet you in peace. And so I would walk up, there was one time in particular, I was in Fremantle, I just met with a brother of mine over there, and I saw this group of Islamic students that were walking around doing their form of evangelism on the streets in Fremantle. And I saw one of them um, look across to me, walking out of this particular church, and thinking like, hey, what's going on here? And so I took the opportunity to walk across and, assalamu alaikum, ah, oh, alaikum salam, and they just start chatting away in Arabic, I'm like, oh, sorry fellas, that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to lead you astray. And we ended up having a really interesting conversation when I had some coffee together and it was a great time, a great time of getting to meet some new people. Um, but there was another um, incident that year that probably wasn't as enjoyable. Um, I was sitting down uh, with a friend of mine who serves as a local minister here in our city and he was keen to get me to come and to share the word with his particular congregation that he leads. And he, I was sitting there again looking like this, and he asked me this question, um, Armand, I just need to know, what, what is it you're going to be wearing? I'm like, well, I'm not going to come naked, mate. Like, it's all good. No, no, I, I need to know, because if you're going to look like this, I can't have you on my pulpit. I'm like, oh, can, can you unpack that a little bit for me? Like, I'm interested to know. And I'm not paraphrasing here. I'm going to share with you exactly what he said. It is etched in my mind forevermore. I'm sitting down at this coffee shop, my heart rate's picking up, and then he says this, if a bikey walks into my church congregation with his patch colours on his back, my people should be afraid, and rightly so. If, a, if an Indian walks into my I'm not lying, this is exactly his words, if an Indian walks into my congregation wearing a turban, my people should be afraid, and rightly so. So you looking the way that you do, my people should be afraid, and rightly so. And I sat there, shocked. My fists clenched under the table, and in that moment, honestly, I felt so much anger. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. And I felt him saying to me, Armit, not your battle. So I relaxed. And I said to this dear brother of mine, that, that rightly so part of what you've said, like, I, I just don't understand. But if there's any other way that I could serve you and, and your family, please just let me know I'm here to, I'm here to serve. And uh, th that was the end of that conversation. So what is, what is one of the key lessons that I learnt through that year? Well, one of the key lessons I learnt through that year is that facial hair is the greatest form of contraception. Um, my wife did not like the beard, it was not good for our marriage. Uh, one of the other things that I did learn was this. Too often, we allow fear to dictate relationship. People looked at the way that I presented to them physically and they made an opinion straight away. It's like they knew me. I had no idea. I'm a family man. I've been serving in my community since I was 14 years old. I love the Lord passionately and I honestly just want to help people. That's all I want to do. But they 
they pitched me in a certain way. So I could unpack some of this. And honestly, to be truthful with you, I actually think that fear is not always a bad thing. But we're not going to get into that this morning, maybe another time. But I do want to pick up on this statement of too often we allow fear to dictate relationship. Now, what does this have to do with Luke chapter 10? Well, if we were to do a brief contextual study of this particular passage, we would know that that 28-kilometre journey between Jerusalem and Jericho was quite a treacherous stretch of road. It was very desolate, it was very arid, it was used as like a, a thoroughfare for trading caravans and military personnel and pilgrims on their way to some sort of holy adventure, but it was also a hot spot for bandits. This is what we know, that this is what history tells us. So in this particular story that Jesus is unpacking here for us, there are several key characters. We've got the robber, we've got the priest and the Levite, and we've got the victim... We've also got the Good Samaritan. So just go with me on this. I'm very visual in how I read and understand Scripture. I try and picture it like a movie scene. So this is what plays in my mind as I read through Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. First, we've got the priest and the Levite. These two gentlemen, people of um, status and influence and reputation in their community, uh, they would have great oratory skills. Whenever they would stand up in front of a crowd of people, people would show respect and listen to them and what they had to say. There was a lot of influence that they did have. If I was to uh, immerse myself into this moment of history as Jesus was telling this particular story, the fact that these two social elites were on this treacherous stretch of road makes me think that they were returning from some sort of um, holy convention they must have been on, some sort of event or festival or gathering that they were there, and then now they were on their return journey. So in my mind, I'm picturing two influential pastors that have been at some large faith-based gathering, and there's been a whole lot of hype and energy, and they've been so stirred by the Holy Spirit, and now they're ready to head back to whence they came from and, and take this message from this conference to their people. And as they're on their way back, as they're on their way back, there is this unexpected opportunity that is presented to them. Unexpected opportunity. So what do they do? No, nah, not part of the plan. We've got to go and change the world. We've got a mission that we're on with. This is what we've been called to do. We've been coming to this conference. This has been amazing. Now we're going to go back and take this message to our people. We don't have time for this. And it's dangerous. It could have been a trap, maybe. It could have been. So the priest and the Levite in the story, they had reason to be fearful. Maybe it was a trap. Maybe bandits were lurking in the background. But because of fear dictating their action, they missed out on an opportunity to live, love, and develop some sort of relationship. And who knows where that could have gone? Who knows? And then we've got the Samaritan. Not a friend of the Jewish people. And if, again, in my mind, as I'm playing this movie scene out in my mind, uh, this person who was beaten and robbed and left half dead would have been a Jewish man. Uh, this is the area that they would have been living in and journeying through. This is 
common uh, community ground for them. And so you've got this Samaritan who's coming through. The priest and the Levite have deliberately crossed the road, continued on their mission, and not interested with this opportunity. And then now you've got this Samaritan who rightly would have had a, ah, serves him right. Those Jewish people, serves them right. He probably got what he deserved. That's the attitude that would be um, expected from a Samaritan who would see this scene unfolding, but that's not what we see taking place. It's not. What do we see taking place? Not only did this Samaritan stop, he used what he had at his disposal to provide assistance. There's the bandages, there's the the oil and the wine, all these things would have cost. And then this stretch of road, 28 kilometres in this arid, desolate countryside, would not have been a comfortable journey. He probably was on his donkey. And then he's gotten off his donkey and taken this Jewish man in my movie scene and put him on this donkey and not even taken him to a local hospital, he's taken him to the local inn. So it's not just uh, leave him here, get some treatment. He's checked himself in with this victim who he's got on his own donkey and using his own resources to help mend. And then he comes and he spends the night. Cares for this complete stranger. Wakes up the next morning and goes to the innkeepers and says, hey, look, I've got to leave this fella here. Um, I actually didn't even get his name. He's half dead. <laughs> like he's not talking much, but he's in need of some great help. I've done whatever I can. Would you guys mind just looking after him? Um, here's some money. If there's any extra costs incurred, just keep a tab. I'll be passing through again shortly. Just let me know how much it is and we'll cover the bill. What an act of generosity and kindness and love. And so unexpected from this Samaritan towards this Jewish man. This is gospel neighbouring. That's what this is. It's living out the gospel no matter what is going on, and it's just sharing the love of Christ with someone else. That's what's happening here. This is what it means to be a radical disciple. You are to help people whom you would normally detest. You are to do this. You are to help people who may normally pose a threat to you. You are to... Help people who may have even brought disaster upon themselves due to their own actions. We are to do this. We are to help people to a place where their burden actually becomes our burden. That's what God is calling us to. This is what he is exemplifying in this story. To the point where you actually experience some of the difficulty and pain that that person you are reaching out to help is going through themselves. I've had hospitality described to me by my parents in this way. We always had an extra pot of curry on the stovetop when I was growing up. There was no one ever left our home hungry or wanting. And hospitality, the way my mum and dad taught me, was it's not just about having food that people could eat. It's about creating a space where others would feel comfortable to kick their shoes off, put their feet on your coffee table and share with you all of their hardships. That ecosystem, that is what hospitality is. Now, food goes a long way towards creating that space, but it's not just about food. How hospitable are we? How hospitable are we? 
You know what else demonstrates this story in a really tangible, profound way? It's actually what Jesus did. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If the mandate and the mission for Jesus was, go and help those who are deserving, he could have saved himself a trip. (laughs) None of us are deserving. None of us, not one. And yet Jesus exemplified what it means to be a good (laughs) neighbour. Did he not? So the focus here is not so much around what we see exemplified by the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. Let me qualify this statement. What the priest and the Levite show for us is almost like gospel proclamation. They were known as people who would have all those oratory skills and always be speaking out this message of hope, right? So we see them sort of encompassing gospel proclamation and yet we see the good Samaritan encompassing gospel demonstration. I'm not here to tell you that one is more important than the other. Truth be told, we need them both. We need them both. But how often do we allow fear to dictate what happens here and which one we live out? So Jesus' focus is in responding to the expert's question of who is my neighbour? So... Who is our neighbour? Jesus asked the teacher of the law this specific question, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So as followers of Jesus, we ought to not just proclaim the gospel, but we ought to demonstrate the gospel. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And we saw that in the Samaritan. Not only did he proclaim the good news, but he demonstrated the good news. And that is what made the difference. Whoever is in front of you, no matter what mission it is you may think you are on, these unexpected opportunities that cross your path, don't cross to the other side of the road. Take these opportunities to demonstrate gospel in action. Again, folks, it's the reason I'm standing in front of you today as a minister of the gospel. Very briefly, the reason I'm here before you is because a random Korean lady in an Asian grocery store back in, how old was I? Nine years old at the time. So back in 1990, my mum, planning to take her own life, wanting to do one more grocery shop for the family to load up the fridge, the freezer and the pantry before she would go and off herself. In this grocery store, filling up the trolley, crying as she's doing her final grocery shop and this random Korean lady, probably on her grocery shop as well, with a list of things to buy for her family. And then an unexpected opportunity in the aisle. So what does she do? She walks up to my mother, who she notices is crying and quite upset, gives her a hug and says to her, Sister, you don't know who I am, but you just need to know that Jesus loves you. And mum's like, who are you talking about? Who are you and what is going on? And so this random Korean lady for the next two weeks is spending every single day in our family living room sharing with my mum the gospel. Completely random. She did not choose to go to the other aisle, folks. She chose to come and to sit with my mum in her pain 
and to listen to her and to demonstrate the love of Christ. And it's because of that random act of kindness, because of that gospel proclamation and that gospel demonstration that I'm here, so convicted by this word of God, hoping that my family here at Sun Life get a glimpse of what our Jesus is teaching us this morning. That you have the potential to transform this world if only you would heed to his teaching. Perfect love casts out all fear. We cannot allow fear to dictate our relationship. So let me make this personal for you as I wrap things up this morning. What does it mean to be a good neighbour in light of these things? 2020 was the first time in world's history since 1998 that we had more people entering extreme poverty than exiting. It's the first time in 22 years that the curve has changed. Or what about this? By the end of the financial year, so by July next year, it is anticipated that an extra 150 million people are going to be living in extreme poverty. And over 50% of those are going to be under the age of 15. My kids' ages. What do you do with this, folks? Or what about this? Gender violence against women, specifically in developing countries, accounts for more death and disability than malaria, car accidents and war combined. What do you do with this? You heard my brother Noel Pabiona talking about OSEC, the online sexual exploitation of children. What do you do with the fact that between March and June last year, when Australia went into lockdown for the first time, there was an additional 300,000 children in the Philippines alone who were caught up in this online sexual exploitation? What do you do with this information? You can't just cross the road, folks. How dare we? We can't. I asked Noel in a video call late last year, tell me why this has happened, help me to understand. And this is what he had to say. Families in the Philippines have two choices, my brother. There's no savings, there's no government handouts, there's, there's, no, there's nothing, there's no support. If the church is not active, there is no hope. So option number one for our families is this. There's no savings, there's no markets, there's no tourists, there's nothing you can do. And so you starve. Option number one, you starve. Or option number two, there's some people knocking on our door saying they've got some work for our children to do. They just have to sit in front of a computer screen. They might even come home each night, but we can get paid. So we starve or we put our children to work. And I'm not going to go into details of what that looks like this morning. But when these are the two options that are facing you as parents, what do you do? I'm thinking of Carlia and Deshaun and Nathaniel and Maya, my four children sitting around a dinner table and saying to them, guys, we can't get food on the table. I know you're so hungry. The only way we can get food is if you go with... This is what's going on just hours from here. What do you do with this? And you know what's really hard to digest in all of this? There are three main countries who are driving all of this demand. Folks, Australia is one of those three. We should not be exploiting these children. We should be making sure they are loved, cared for, protected and discipled. That is our job. That is our mandate. That is our mission as followers of Christ, is it not? How dare we? And so I come to you this morning 
with two questions in light of all that I've shared and with the encouragement this morning, hey, let's practice what it means to be a good neighbour. And so the first thing I want to challenge you with is this. Would you consider partnering with compassion to be a good neighbour? There's a whole bunch of children that I've brought from the Philippines this morning. Now, all of the churches through the western suburbs here in Perth are all focusing, those that partner with Compassion, are all focusing their efforts to see uh, Iriga in the Philippines completely transformed by the power of the gospel. We're having this targeted approach where all the family in the western suburbs are coming together to hone in on this one space. So what do you do when you've got little Jelly here who's been waiting 570 days in that ditch on the side of the road? There's, there's four kids this morning, folks, that have been waiting 570 days for someone to get off their donkey and to step into their trench. What do you do with this? And so I want to encourage you this morning, would you consider, for the cost of $48 a month, partnering with Compassion and being a good neighbour to these kids? In Iriga right now, there are 141 children waiting to be sponsored. In the Philippines, there's over 3,600 children waiting to be sponsored. So we can step in. Or for some of you here, look, there is no shortage of needs out there. And not just in the Philippines, folks outside these walls. There's no shortage of needs. If you or your family or your business are, hey, we may not be able to focus on just one child, but there's projects that we know of where it's not just the children that will be impacted, but the entire communities. If you want to get involved in something like that, come and talk to us after the service. You want to sponsor a child, get involved in a project, whatever it is. If you want to explore being a good neighbour and partner with Compassion, come and chat to us. Grant and Robin and myself will be there waiting to have a chat with you. My brothers and sisters, I want to close with this. And it's a passage from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. Here are the words recorded for us. Greater love has no one than this. Someone would lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So as we, Sun Life Church and Compassion, continue to work together to see children released from poverty in his name, our hope and our desire is that gospel transformation would take place in a profound way. And not just in the Philippines, not just in the western suburbs of Perth as a church comes together as one but also in our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to open your word this morning. And I thank you for the reminder that that robber on that road had this attitude of, what's yours is mine. And you showed to us that the priest and the Levite had an attitude of, what's mine is mine but you highlighted the act of the Samaritan who encompassed this idea that what's mine is yours. It's a very attitude that you had when you stepped down to earth. What's mine is yours. Life eternal is yours. Hope and restoration is yours. Love and healing is yours. Wholeness and redemption 
is yours. Identity and belonging, it's yours. A relationship with my Father, it's yours. Father, we want to see this truth declared over all of these kids who are just waiting in the trenches. Over all of these communities who are in desperate need of gospel transformation. Father, for here in our own backyard, we need the same transformation as well. Would you use us as your people to bring that transformation about? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.